Uh, yeah, hi, my name is Michael Prevatera. I'm one of the pastors at New City Presbyterian, just up the road in Norwood. Uh, a lot of you guys I know from there. Um, but uh, I also serve as a campus minister at Xavier University, so my primary gig is hanging out with college students uh, during the week, drinking a lot of coffee, eating cafeteria food, and helping them follow Jesus. So um, let us begin. We'll stand for the reading of the word, uh, reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. The Lord Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Um, So about two years ago, I bought a deep freeze, you know, one of the big chests that go in your basement. Um, And to that statement, you might say, oh, Mike just needs some more room in his freezer for ice cream or something like that. Uh, But that's not the reason I bought the deep freeze. I bought the deep freeze uh, in a moment of panic because about two years ago, I was told by one of my son's classmates' father, who was a farmer, that in a year from our conversation, it was actually on a field trip that Adam and I were on together, uh, in a year from our conversation, there would be no food in the grocery store. It was all going to be, it was going to be lines and things were going to be really bad. And so I came back from this, um, this field trip kind of freaked out, right? When a farmer tells you there's not going to be any food anymore, uh, that's, that's a reason to panic. And so as soon as I got back from the field trip, I headed off to Lowe's and bought like the first deep freeze I could get my hands on, uh, the best price, whatever, uh, because I, I thought, okay, if I do this, then I'm going to help feed my family in the great famine to come. I didn't think about whether or not there'd be electricity or anything like that. It's had deep freeze. Now, is it bad to have a deep freeze? No. It's actually been a great addition for our family. Um, we bought a quarter of beef this year. We always keep that. I can put extra ice cream and popsicles and stuff in it. It's fantastic. Um, it's great. But that's not why I bought the deep freeze, if I'm being totally honest. I bought it because I was hoping to secure my future. Um, I bought it in that moment, thinking that deep, that deep freeze would prevent my kids from starving in the zombie apocalypse or whatever is going to happen. Thankfully, none of that ever came true. And I'm not saying it's bad to prepare for disasters. Bad stuff happens, right? We read about fires and floods and earthquakes, and you see this in the news the last few weeks. Stuff happens, and being prepared is a wise idea, right? The scriptures talk about this. But that's not where my heart was. My heart was saying, I'm secure because I bought this deep freeze crisis averted. Now, that's an extreme example, Uh, but we are all tempted to put our trust in things other than God. We all want to secure our futures. We all want to make sure we have comfort and ease, and wise planning is a really good thing. Thinking about the future is good, but there's also a risk that comes with that. Uh, there's, a, there's a section, and this here in the section of the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus is addressing that risk. 
Right? In, this, in this morning's passage, the Lord Jesus throws down the gauntlet. He draws a line in the sand and calls us to a different kind of relationship with our stuff and our money. Um, before we dig into the passage, let me, let me uh, pray for us, and then we'll, we'll dig in a little bit further. Let's pray. Gracious God, and most merciful Father, you have granted us the rich and precious jewel of your holy word. Assist us with your spirit that the same word may be written in our hearts to our everlasting comfort to reform us, to renew us according to your own image, and to build us up and edify us into the perfect dwelling place of your Christ, sanctifying and increasing in us all heavenly virtues. Grant this, O Heavenly Father, for Christ's sake. Amen. So let's dig into Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 24. Uh, In verses 19 to 21, Jesus makes it really clear. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth. Don't store up for yourself treasures. Don't hoard treasures. And why? Well, he says because it won't last. Right? Decay happens. Moths can eat that fine wool jacket or whatever moths eat. I don't know. I don't, haven't had problems with moths for eating my stuff for a while. But apparently this is an issue in the first century. Um, you can lose your money. People can steal it. Uh, my Instacart account got hacked a few weeks ago, and someone bought like a $700, like, I don't know what it was, but it was a lot of money. Thankfully, it got averted. But that can happen, right? People can steal your stuff. Uh, but it won't last, so don't put your, your treasures, don't store for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, my, my boys have this habit of, uh, I love my boys, they're right over here, but they're, they have this habit of calling out every cool sports car they see on the road, right? They're like, oh, look at that Corvette, look at that Mustang, look at that Dodge Charger, whatever it is, right? They see it and they're like, that is so cool. Uh, and they're obsessed with the idea of owning one as soon as they get their driver's license. Um, and in the middle of that fantasy, I love dumping a, a bucket of cold, hard reality on their heads by saying, remember, they all crash the same. Or look at that driver, because it's generally like an old guy who, who bought it during his midlife crisis, right? Um, like, in other words, don't get your hopes up for having one of these when you're 18. And also, I'd be a fool for letting you buy one because uh, you're going to crash it. Um, but I'm just keeping it real for them. But it's true, right? Those cars may indeed be beautiful and high performance and all this stuff, um, but time will make them rust. Time will make them fail. Bad things can happen. This is the Lord's point. Um, have a healthy expectation for the things you possess, in other words. Now, the word treasure that the Lord uses here can literally refer to money, but it can also figuratively refer to whatever you trust in, whatever you hope in, whatever you find security in, right? Whatever you, whatever you love, whatever you live for, your treasure, that, it will be that thing, right? Jesus says, in other words, um, where are you treasure, what you treasure, where you put your treasure, what you live for, that indicates where your heart is at, where you functionally put your trust. So this is a good chance for us this morning as we read hard texts like this, because I think when I read this, it's, it's really hard. Um, but when we read this, it's, it's a good chance for us to ask some deep questions of ourselves, right? First, where am I laying up my treasure? Maybe, and maybe a better question is, where is my heart? What do I love the most? What gives me personal value? What gives me security? Is my identity as a son or daughter of God or a follower of Jesus, is that my main identity? Or is that just an add-on? 
Like, what am I really living for? Am I living for the kingdom of God, or am I really living for comfort and ease and a nice retirement? And Jesus tells us, anything you treasure other than God is temporary. It will not satisfy. Anything you, you hope in other than God will fail you. It will run out. It will decay. It will die. And this teaching also has consequences for our lives. Look at verse 22. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, I don't know if any of you are doctors here, but you're like, that's not how the eye works. I think we all, in our, in our modern age, we read this and we're like, that's a really weird phrase. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, in Jewish thought, the eye was very similar to the heart. Right? You, we read about the heart in the Bible, we talk about the heart uh, as kind of the center of emotion. The eye was very similar to the heart in, in Jewish first century thought. In, in other words, it's a lamp that actually shows the quality of one's inner life. Like it's a window into the soul, in other words. So a healthy eye, uh, clear vision, right? Being able to see life according to God means you have a heart that's set on loyal devotion to God. But a life devoted to yourself or your stuff is like having an eye that's oozing pus or is irritated or is blind. In other words, you have an impaired vision of how the world works. And so the Lord says, if your treasure is in something that is going to fail, your heart is there too. Uh, and then as you live out of that, you'll be blind, right? You won't be able to see straight. The direction of your life will be skewed. Life will be off kilter. You, the, the way in which you look at the world will be blurry. And so it might be helpful to look at an area of your life where you're struggling. Um, maybe it's envy, right? You want, maybe you want a bigger house like your neighbor's or a better job, or better kids, or a better spouse, or a better dog, like, like someone else, whatever it might be. We all struggle with envy at times. Why is that? What, what, are, what are the heart motivations there, right? What were you thinking, if my house is better, I'd be happy? Life would be simpler? And maybe that's true. But then what is the direction of my life if I've had my heart set on those things? Does it get wrapped up in bitterness because I don't have that? Do I start putting all my energy into getting that thing that I want? When it comes to this topic of planning and saving and securing and owning and seeking, right? As a follower of Jesus, we must always be asking, why? Why am I doing this? Is it coming from a place of wisdom? Or is it coming from a place of anxiety and fear and lack of trust in God? Is, is, what is the direction, right? One is clear-sighted. The other is blindness. And this is where Jesus breaks in and says, okay, you cannot be double-minded if you're going to be one of my disciples. Uh, look at verse 24. For a disciple of Christ, then there is no, a choice to make. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Bob Dylan once sang, after his conversion, he has a song called, You Gotta Serve Somebody. And that was based off this section of the Lord's teaching. And Jesus makes it, I mean, I don't think he'd be any clearer than he is here, right? You cannot serve God and money. You, you either serve God or you can serve money, or mammon is the word he uses in Greek. You have a choice. Serve God, the true God only, or serve a lesser false God of your own making. It's either God or mammon. 
It's either God or wealth. It's either God or money. It's either God or security. It's either God or idolatry. One crowds out the other. You will find something to worship if it's not the Lord. That's kind of our, our default humanity. We will deify something and make it a God if it's not God that we're worshiping. David Foster Wallace once quipped um, in, a, in a speech given to Kenyon College. She basically says, the only choice you have, you make in adult life is what you worship, right? What you serve. Because we all worship. We all serve something. And so the choice of what we worship is the only thing we choose. So you're going to worship. So you've got to be clear on what you're choosing to worship. And this is Paul's warning to those who want to be rich in his first letter to Timothy. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting verse 9, Paul writes, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. That is a hard saying, isn't it? I would love to be rich. I, I, I could think about all I could do. I think about it, you, know, you hear people getting billion dollar bonuses or whatever, and you're like, man, what could I do with that money? Right? I would love that. But Paul's warning here. It's a temptation, a snare. Because from a Christian perspective, money is actually just a tool. Right? The world tells us that money is everything. Money equals success. Money equals status. Money equals power. And, and, right? But from a Christian perspective, money is just a tool. To view it otherwise would be like taking a hammer right, and, then, and creating an altar in your home and putting that hammer on it and like doing all your family devotions and prayers in front of that hammer. Um, right? You're, you, that's not what the tool's for. A hammer is for nailing uh, nails into wood or maybe prying nails out or maybe it, like if you're a thief using a hammer to break into a car or something like that, right? It's a tool, in other words. You don't use a hammer to flip pancakes, right? You don't use a hammer to scrub yourself in the shower. That's weird. It would probably hurt. It's a tool. It has a purpose. Same with money, right? Money is a tool given by God to allow us to purchase things we need and to share with those in need. It's not meant to be a source of identity or security, right? I don't look at my toolbox and see all the hundreds of wrenches and screwdrivers that I have that my wife would love me to throw some of them out and, and minimize. I don't look at all those and be like, wow, I'm set for life. It's like, oh, I have a screw for every purpose. But I don't, I don't look at all those screwdrivers and say, man, life's going to be great because I have all these things, right? They're just tools. Um, they may make some of my work a little easier, but they don't give me a sense of status or security, right? They're just tools, and this is, this is the Christian perspective on money. And, a fact, and in fact, the love of money can actually lead us to wandering away from faith, from God. It can displace the Lord from our life when we turn that tool into something more than a tool, into a God. So, who are you serving? Or what are you really serving functionally? Right, this is a chance for us to do some diagnostics on our hearts. Am I serving God? Is all of my life toward, oriented toward God and every inch of what I do, every square inch of, of my life, is it oriented toward God? Or am I seeking something else? Maybe money isn't the thing, right? Maybe it's success. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's chasing romance. What is the thing that drives you on a day-to-day -day basis? 
Because we are all tempted to idolatry. We're all tempted to serve other things. And so Jesus' words should shake us a bit and cause us to do some real diagnostics. Who or what am I serving? Because I can only have one master. I can't have two. I can't serve God and money. I can only serve God or money. And so am I sold out for God? Or am I just pursuing other things and adding God on top of it? Now, I get that's really easy to say and really hard to do. Right? Sometimes we are tempted to put in career and income first because I have bills to pay. Right? Uh, you have clo- kids to clothe and feed. You need to be able to buy a home or pay rent to take care of your family. And that's, there's a good reason for pursuing some of those things sometimes. But the scriptures warn us over and over again, not just in the Sermon Mount, but again, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul writes, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Or Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, where the writer says, Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so, don't serve money. Don't serve whatever it is else you're tempted to serve, whatever the mammons are in your life. Don't put your hope there. Don't find your identity and security and how much money you have or how great your stuff is or how much stuff you have. Um, because the reality is your kids are just going to put in a garage sale and throw it away when you die. So don't put, be content and serve God. Turn away from whatever mammon or idol you're tempted to serve and serve God alone. Now, again, I recognize it's very easy to say all this and very hard to do. And there are a whole host of reasons for that while it's hard. Um, But I think for sure one of the reasons why it's so hard is we too often forget the character of God. Um, We think or I'm tempted, I'll be honest, my heart, I'm tempted to think that God's a tyrant or a distant king who's unconcerned about us. Or I think that God's too busy to take care of all the details of my lives. And it's all up to me. It's got to be on my power. I got to do more and I got to pursue and I got to work hard and I got to, I got to grind right? or whatever I got to do. Right? That's my temptation. And uh, you guys are going to be getting into the next verses of this the Sermon on the Mount here in the coming weeks. So I'm not going to dive really deeply into them there. Uh, but there's a, this, there's a way forward for us in those next few verses, starting in verse 25. There, at the very least, the, the picture we see of God in them is radically different from the character that we're tempted to assign to God, right? Because the, if anything about God, for, based on what, if, if it's my beliefs versus what the scriptures say, my beliefs are completely opposite from what is true about God's character. Why can you turn to God instead of money? Why can you trust in God versus your own provision? Well, first of all, because he's good for it. Jesus point blank says in the next few verses of this section, he says, you are of great value. God knows what you need. Right? Psalm 139 uh, tells us that God formed us in our mother's womb. Like every part of you, God made. Right? Every one of our days has been written down before they've even occurred. God knows everything about us. Jesus will say elsewhere in the scriptures that every hair on our head is numbered, right? For some of us, that's a lot less hairs than other people, so it's not that hard. Um, But God knows everything about us, even the words that we're going to speak 
before we say them. And he's near to us. God, it's not God who's distant, it's me who's distant from God. God is near, and God knows what we need and promises to provide it, right? If you are a follower of Jesus, you are an adopted child of God. You are part of the family. And God, like any good parent, takes care of his family. And you are of so much value that God was willing to give up everything to have you, right? That's this, this is the, the, the promise of the gospel. This is the, the good news of the gospel that the father allowed his son to die for you. Now listen, I don't know all of you very well. I know some of you better than others. Um, but I can guarantee you this. I wouldn't give up any of my children to rescue you, right? If there's a train, if you were on a train track and uh, there's a train barreling down and someone's going to get hit, um, I'm pushing my kids out of the way. If you, both if one of you and my kids are not, like, I'm pushing my kids out of the way and you're getting hit by the train because I love my kids, right? I'm not going to give my child to rescue you from the train track. I'm sorry. Um, just reality. And I, and I hope you say the same thing about me too if it's one of your kids on the track, right? But Paul writes in Romans chapter five, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You and I are not great people. We're at war with God. We are rebels. We are in debt to God. We're sinners, right? And yet the father gave up his son for you. We were in massive debt for our sin. We are owed death for our treasons, right? The scripture said the wages of sin is death. And yet God gave up his son to have you. His son who was perfect and did nothing wrong, who lived the life that we ought to live, and yet died the death that we ought to die. Right? Jesus was tortured and executed in our place. That middle cross was meant for us. The sins that you and I commit then are paid for and forgiven. Right? God provided. God paid it all. Jesus paid it all as the song goes. Right? And we have then been welcomed with open arms and given the spirit of God within us and promised that God has got us. He's welcomed us even though we didn't deserve it at all. And so why do we think that God would ever leave us or forsake us? Because he was willing to do all that for me? Why would I ever, ever think that he'd be willing to leave me or forsake me? Why would he not provide for me? One of God's names in the, in the Old Testament is Jireh, uh, right? Yahweh, Jireh, Jehovah, Jireh, whatever you want to call it. Like, God is a provider. Right? No, he is, he is good for it. He is for us. He has got you. Right? He will take care of all the details, even when times are hard. And there will be hard times. Right? I'm not promising that God's going to give you a mansion or a sports car if you just pray a certain way or if you give enough money to Billy or whatever, right, or the church. Right? I'm not promising any of that. But... He's a father who loves you and who's for you, who desires your good. And he teaches us to pray for our daily bread, right? The Lord Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. Give us the things that we need, God, for today. And the things that we need to survive and thrive. And so in light of that, in light of who God is, don't be anxious about any of these things. Don't put your trust in money or whatever idol calls out to you, turn again to God. Trust him. Trust the one who is willing to die and bleed for you. Trust the God who calls you beloved son or daughter. 
even when things are hard, because he will shape those times. He will shape you through them and work it for good. Seek his kingdom with every inch of your life and all the other stuff he'll take care of. Right? He's already gotten you out of debt once. He's good for whatever else comes your way. It may not always look like we want it to, but he's good for it. That's the promise of the scripture. So serve God and don't worry about all the other stuff because he loves you and gave his son for you to set you free. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do confess, I confess, Lord, that so often I am tempted by all the other stuff uh, and, and want to put my trust in mammon or money or whatever. Lord, forgive us for that. Forgive us for looking to all the things in the world that call out to us instead of you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make us a people that more and more um, seek your kingdom first and not worry about all this stuff, but are actually freed up uh, to share what we have because we know that you're good for it and you provide for us. Um, that we're to be rich in good works. God, help us to do this, we pray. And thank you for your mercy and kindness for us. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the one who, who paid our debt and gave us an inheritance that can never perish. Pray this in his name. Amen.